Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Hi, this is Leslie Gist, and we have a wonderful uh, activist, lobbyist, um, on the line. She is a historian out of Canada. Her name is Ms. Irene Moore Davis. Well, thank you, Leslie. My name is Irene Moore Davis. I'm from Windsor, Ontario, on the traditional territories of the three fire confederacies of First Nations, the Ojibwe, the Odawa, and the Potawatomi. And we recognize the longstanding presence of the Huron-Wendat peoples here as well. I am a descendant of the Shad family, a family of abolitionists who moved to Canada from the U.S. in the 1850s. I am also the daughter of a sixth-generation Underground Railroad descendant and an Afro-Caribbean immigrant. I am a film uh, documentary producer, a historian, an educator, an author, and I'm so pleased to be here. Okay. Right. I didn't know that you were involved with so many areas of history. Um, Before we get into Marianne Chad, your relative, could you tell us about your filmmaking? I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, that has been a really uh, incredibly interesting and exciting recent addition to my activities. So uh, in 2020, uh, my fellow executive producer, Heidi Jacobs, and I, with our director, Annie Shrey Singh, released a short documentary called The North with Our Canaan, which is about Black history in the Underground Railroad era in Sandwich, Ontario, or what's now part of West Windsor, Ontario. And uh, we were very pleased with the reception of that film. We uh, certainly received a lot of um, indications that it's being used widely in schools and by other folks. We received for that film Best uh, Canadian Short Documentary and Best uh, Documentary Director at the International Film International and Diversity Film Festival. And we also received a Lieutenant Governor of Ontario's Heritage Award for that film earlier this year. So we're thrilled with it. And then later next month in June, we're going to be releasing our second short documentary, which is called Across the River to Freedom. And it focuses on three extraordinary couples from Sandwich's Underground Railroad history, Henry and Mary Bibb, Thornton and Lucy Blackburn, and Charlotte Watkins and Alan Watkins, or sorry, sorry, Caroline Corals Watkins and Alan Watkins. So we are so excited that that will be released, and we're all been getting lots of interest in it, again, from school boards, educators, and we're just so thrilled uh, to know that we can continue kind of shining a light on this exciting history in a way that's accessible to people that aren't likely to open up a history book, you know. Um, and th- I think that's what it's all about, to mo- uh, mobilize this knowledge and find ways for people to learn about the history in a variety of formats. Well, I hope you allow us to have a screening here in New Jersey, New York, Tri-State area. 
Sounds good. <laughs> okay. All right. That's another show. Um, but for now, get right into Marianne's chat, and I'm going to sit back, take some notes. I welcome and invite all the listeners to do the same. Get your pen and pad ready because, um, as you can tell, Miss Moore is a scholar, and she is a spring of knowledge. So I'm going to put my phone on mute, and I'll let you start. Well, thank you for this opportunity to share information about someone who's not only one of my favorite historical figures, but also an actual blood relative. So before we get to the story of Marianne Shad, I'm going to, in just a few sentences, talk about her family, because Marianne Shad did not just arrive from outer space or just pop up out of nowhere. She was born into a family that was very much um, engaged in activism and abolitionism and indeed in the Underground Railroad. Uh, she was someone who was born a free person of African descent um, in the United States in Delaware and, uh, you know, had an opportunity to be educated in Pennsylvania because her parents very specifically decided to make uh, the move to a place where she could receive an education and where their other children could receive an education. So they moved to uh, Pennsylvania to facilitate that. And she became a teacher and an anti-slavery activist and abolitionist and noted orator and writer on those topics. But she wasn't alone. Her father had been doing that prior to her. Um, her father was very much involved in the Underground Railroad as an operative. Uh, he was someone who participated very strongly in the colored conventions movement and in abolitionism. Um, he is one of very few people of African descent. Well, there are more now, but he was initially one of very few people of African descent to appear on a Canadian postage stamp because he was recognized for having been the first person of African descent to be elected to political office uh, here in Canada. So I, I guess what I would say is they were just a family of, of black excellence and anti-slavery vigor. And um, so it was basically a case where Marianne made the decision um, to come to um, the North American Colored Convention in Toronto at St. Lawrence Hall in 1851. She had already been heavily engaged in the anti-slavery movement. She was a young woman in her 20s at this point. Um, she had been teaching and writing and lecturing and engaging in all forms of activism related to not only the end, you know, ending slavery, but also really focusing on um, finding ways for people of African descent, even if they were free people of color, to get to a place where they could seek their rights, uh, have protection from the kind of oppression and harassment they were experiencing under the Black uh, Codes and certainly under the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850. She was interested in emigration. She was interested in exploring the various places where African-Americans could get to, um, either to find safety or to find freedom or both. So she came to Canada to check it out. She already had a pretty solid idea that Canada was the best place for people to go. But she came to Toronto. She really enjoyed her time here. And she made a decision pretty quickly um, at the request of Henry and Mary Bibb, or especially Henry Bibb, to set up roots uh, here in Ontario, or what was then known as Canada West. So she wrote to her brother from Toronto, wrote to her brother Isaac um, on September 16, 1851, and said, basically, 
I've been in Toronto. I attended the convention. I really like it here. I think this is the place to be. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I'm going to stay here. I'm going to head down to Sandwich and uh, establish myself there. And I would encourage you to do the same and to find a place where you can work at your uh, craft, um, make as much money as you can, buy up as much land as you can, because that was the route to enfranchisement, to have a say in one's affairs and the affairs of one's community, and just, you know, live, respected, live respectively, live a life of dignity. So she came down to Sandwich. Um, she actually set up shop in Windsor proper, which, is, which was just adjacent to Sandwich, but which is now the city in which Sandwich is a neighborhood. And she established very quickly a school for children um, and realized that there were also adults who needed the opportunity for literacy and numeracy. She did something pretty special. She set up an integrated school from the get-go. She believed in integration. She believed that black and white people should be living together and learning together and working together. She believed that self-reliance was the true road to independence, but that, that did not necessarily mean segregation or living separately. And so she set up this integrated school, um, and she taught children during the day. She taught adults at night. She became very busy, became very involved in setting up the local anti-slavery society here in Windsor, and became a pretty prominent speaker around here. She was already widely known in the anti-slavery movement, but she started to really make a name for herself here in Canada. And where she set up the school is actually on what is now the footprint of our uh, current City Hall Square in Windsor. So close to City Hall Square, if you're ever in Windsor, Ontario, you'll see that there is a plaque about her. Um, you'll also see that about two blocks south of City Hall Square, there's a rather magnificent mural called the Reaching Out Mural, on which she is one of the six uh, featured uh, historical figures uh, pertaining to Black history in Windsor. And that mural was actually uh, created by the artist to whom we'll be speaking a little bit later, Donna Maine, an interesting story. So. Where Marianne set up that incredible school was in the abandoned military barracks that had been left behind um, after the Senian raids and the 1837-1838 rebellion, or what I think Americans call the Patriot uh, Rebellion, Patriot War. And uh, that was basically a refugee reception center that the people of Windsor had established to house temporarily um, and provide services to, basic services to, refugees from American chattel slavery freedom seekers who were making their way across the border in droves to Windsor, um, you know, in the wake of the fugitive slave law in the U.S. And while there had been certainly a trickle of people coming across the Detroit River for decades, um, this was a moment in history in the early 1850s when momentum really picked up. So there was a need to provide some services in a big way. And Marianne Shad provided a lot of services beyond just teaching school. Um, but she was really, really committed to helping people become self-reliant. And she was working in partnership with a lot of other people to make sure that that occurred and provide leads about housing, provide information about, you know, how, how to survive, how to get by. She also decided that she was going to publish a booklet 
and she did that. It was called A Plea for Emigration, and it was designed really to get into the hands of people in the United States who were trying to figure out where to go or where best to direct or recommend uh, that formerly uh, enslaved people make their way to be safe and to be secure. Keep in mind that Canada West at that point, or what's now Ontario, did offer people legal freedom once they crossed the border. It wasn't necessarily an ideal situation, and it's not to say that there wasn't racism uh, of a major nature. People, once they got here, um, were able to be free and to be secure that the government would not return them to slavery, um, even though there were slave catchers who, on occasion, would make their way across the border to look for people and try to drag them back. What I would say about Marianne is that she uh, went ahead and published this remarkable work that is really an important uh, piece of literature um, among early Canadian women writers, not even just focusing on black uh, writers. It was something that really explained to Americans why they should come to Canada West, what the climate was like here, what the social climate was like here, what kind of crops would grow here, what you needed to know to make a go of it here how best to uh, defend yourself against racism or segregation or things of that nature. So it was an incredibly important work and widely circulated. And, you know, she then went on um, to start up a newspaper. And she did that primarily in response to increasing attacks that she was receiving at the hands of the Bibs uh, through their newspaper, The Voice of the Fugitive. Um, she had gotten into a bit of a dust-up with them over some philosophical differences, and she really uh, felt that the whole system of people begging on behalf of the uh, people of African descent in Canada West uh, was really detrimental. She thought that it was unnecessary. She worried that agents who were fundraising for formerly enslaved people were actually pocketing too much of the money and it wasn't getting to the right hands or it wasn't being used in the correct ways. She had some misgivings about the bids and the kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, fundraising efforts that they were going through and, and what was becoming of those funds. She had some misgivings about their idea of working with the Refugee Home Society, for which they were the primary administrators. Um, and setting up separate settlements or separate colonies for people of African descent when she thought that people of African descent needed to make a go of it in the cities and towns and the settlements with other people. She thought that was the only way forward. So there had, you know, there had been some attacks on her that were pretty focused on gender and focused on her personality and, you know, kind of were feeling, she thought that they were selling her name. And the best way for her to establish her own narrative and control the way that she and the people working with her and her overall philosophy were conveyed was to establish her own newspaper. So she did that. She established the Provincial Freeman in 1853 here in Windsor. And when she did so, she became the first woman in all of Canada and the first black woman in North America to edit and publish a newspaper. Initially, she didn't do that um, openly. She had her friend Samuel Ringgold Ward, who was a pretty noted abolitionist, serve as kind of the shadow editor. So the first few uh, issues indicated that it was his publication, but in fact it was her. She was doing the writing. She was doing the editing. 
it was her narrative voice all the way through it. And eventually she kind of came out of the closet, so to speak, and acknowledged that she had been running this newspaper all along and said, we have broken the editorial ice and encouraged other women to get into publishing. So that was pretty remarkable. And then she, you know, she headed up to Toronto and ran the newspaper there. There were uh, a lot of things that she felt she needed to do in Toronto, which was becoming more the hub of things and which was our provincial seat of power, as it still is our provincial capital now. And she then uh, married Thomas Carey, who was a pretty noted anti-slavery activist and business person uh, of African descent in Toronto. And um, unfortunately, he died pretty soon after they had had their first uh, two children, her only two children. So she moved back down to Chatham where her uh, father and mother and many of her siblings were now living and published the newspaper from Chatham for a time. And, you know, her story doesn't end there. I mean, Marianne Shad eventually, like a lot of the anti-slavery activists and luminaries who came to this province at the height of the Underground Railroad era, Marianne Shad decided to return to the U.S. She became involved in Civil War recruitment. Martin Delaney encouraged her to become a Civil War recruiter, helping to get people uh, charged up about joining the Union Army effort. So she did that primarily in Indiana. And that was an incredible thing for a black woman to be doing, traveling around, um, encouraging people to join in the Union Army effort. She taught school again for a while. She became a principal. She was, by this point, living in Washington, D.C., and decided to go to law school. So she became the first woman to enroll in the law school at Howard. Um, Some health issues and some other issues prevented her from completing Um, completing that uh, degree quite as quickly as she had wished. So another woman actually graduated ahead of her. But um, there were some issues with uh, her diploma or degree being kind of withheld from her. Um, And so when she did finally uh, get the degree, one of the first things she did was to sue Howard University for having (laughs) having degree on the basis of sex discrimination. Wow. And she was incredible. And, I mean, she, she went on to do all kinds of incredible things. She became a very noted women's suffragist. She organized an organization of women who were, you know, black women who were interested in investing. Um, I mean, think about that. That's just incredible in the 19th century so that they could be independent and have their own wealth and not be reliant on men. Um, for their financial freedom. I mean, she was just an incredible person, this attorney, former newspaper publisher, uh, just incredible civic leader, um, teacher, uh, author, speaker, all of that stuff. That is the story of Marianne Shad Carey. So how do we remember her now? Well, October 9th, uh, 2023 will be an important time. We'll be looking at her bicentennial, and there are things that are happening all over North America in 2023 to mark um, Marianne Shadsbury's bicentennial. I would say that she has a federal historic plaque here in Canada in Chatham. She has a beautiful bus, bronze bus, in the VME Freedom Park in Chatham, Ontario, which was created by the great. African-American sculptor, um, Artis Lane, who was also a Shad descendant. 
Um, she has been featured in our incredible um, Canadian History Moment commercials that our federal government puts out there so that people learn about history. She's been the subject of numerous plays, including Things My Four Sisters Saw by Leslie McCurdy. And last week, just last week, she had a beautiful full-length, full-size uh, bronze bust, sorry, bronze sculpture um, installed and unveiled at the University of Windsor, and that was by the amazing sculptor Donna Maine, to whom we'll be speaking shortly, and we'll talk about that. But I also want to add, I mean, Marianne Shad Carey was a Google Doodle on her birthday last year. Marianne Shad Carey um, is having a journalism school named after her at Carleton University in our nation's capital, Ottawa, and we'll be looking forward to the opening of that. And Marianne Shad Carey is the person after whom our National Newspaper Awards Award for uh, Columnist of the Year is given out. So just a few weeks ago, the Marianne Shad Carey Award for Columns, which is our national award for the best columnist, was given out to uh, uh, Karen Puglazy, who is an Indigenous um, journalist here in Canada. And I know Marianne would be so pleased with that. Okay. Wonderful. You got a lot in in, a, in such a short period of time. Phenomenal job. You did. Yes, you did. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have a few questions to ask you. Um, so first, are there any monuments America dedicated to Marianne Shad? There are no monuments in America dedicated to Marianne Shad, as far as I know, but her home in Washington, D.C. is on the National Historic Register of Places, so it has a plaque and you can go and visit it. It's in the neighborhood not very far from Howard University, which she attended. And she is a member of the U.S. Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls, New York, and I think that happened back in the 90s. So she has been recognized in some ways. Certainly the people at the Colored Conventions Project, uh, spearheaded by faculty from around North America, including Penn State and Queen's University here in Canada, uh, they've been putting a lot of focus on her. So they've been running pretty regular conferences and symposia about her and her life and the people with whom she was affiliated. But as far as I know, there's no monument yet. I was asking about Osborne Perry, her cousin, and um, Henry Bibbs. Yeah, so Osborne, Osborne Perry Anderson was uh, a relative, and he, he also, uh, once he made his way to Canada West, became a printer at the Provincial Freeman, um, working under her in Chatham. And, of course, we all remember Osborne for having participated in the raid on Harper's Ferry and written that incredible autobiography about his experiences and just being an incredible anti-slavery activist in his own right. I mean, when we think about these luminaries of the abolitionist movement who crossed over into Canada West and made their home here and used it as their base of operations, there are too many people to name. And I think Osborne uh, is certainly one of the folks that we should remember more than we do. And Henry Bibb, my goodness. Henry Bibb, I have so much admiration for both Henry and Mary Bibb. Um, they are incredible people who also lived right here in my city. And as, as I'm sure most of your listeners will know, Henry Bibb was a 
formerly enslaved person from Kentucky who made numerous attempts to escape, finally made his way to Detroit successfully, learned to read and write. He had always been a brilliant man, but now he had the gift of literacy. He became a noted anti-slavery activist, orator, writer, published his autobiography, pretty incredible work. Married Mary Miles, who was a person of action descent, who'd been born a free uh, person of action descent in Rhode Island. She was also an anti-slavery activist. They decided after the 1850s of Slave Act that they needed to cross over to Sandwich, where they immediately did a bunch of incredible things like setting up a school, starting their newspaper, The Voice of the Fugitive, setting up some anti-slavery conventions of pretty uh, significant, uh, you know, uh, value and and certainly becoming the administrators of the Refugee and Home Society. So they became as well persons of national historic significance, just like Marianne Shad is a person of national historic significance. But they did have a rift with her, and it was unfortunate. And it's really sad when I look back at both newspapers to see how much time was kind of spent sniping at one another. Um, But they were very committed to their point of view. She was very committed to her point of view, and they were really trying to defend what each of them thought was the best way forward for people of African descent. Okay. In closing, I just want to encourage everybody to look up Marianne Shad Cherry or Marianne Shad. Um, she was an incredible person. She's someone well worth knowing about. I think that she is someone that I hope every uh, school child uh, should be learning about if they're learning about black history. We have a tendency to focus on the same people again and again and again, but there are so many fantastic stories to tell about our ancestors and particularly about those who have been not given as much attention as others. I think that there are a number of great women of the 19th century and early 20th century who were big uh, contributors to our progress as, as people of African descent. She was certainly one of them. And I'm just so proud that my great, 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 great grandmother was her little sister. And there are literally thousands of people who have shads uh, in their bloodstream. And, and I'm so pleased to be one of them. But even if you're not a shad relative, look into her. She is just a really fascinating person to learn about. Wonderful. Any um, tips? Uh, recommendations on, I know you mentioned Leslie McGurdy's play. Any books, movies? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a great book by Jane Rhodes called Marianne Shad Carey, The Black Press and Protest in the 19th Century. I would say that is the best resource about her. There's also a children's book. Actually, there are a couple of children's books. There's a recent one that has come out through Scholastic. And there's also an earlier one by the great African-Canadian scholar Rosemary Sadler called Mary Ann Shad, publisher, editor, teacher, lawyer, suffragette. And I would recommend any of those. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Happy Victoria Day, Donna. Bye. Thank you. And you too. Bye-bye. You give us a little bit of that before you hang up. What is Victoria Day? It is my great pleasure to talk about Victoria Day. So, as you know, Canada, well, as you probably know, Canada achieved confederation or independence from Britain in 1867. Um, We didn't have a war to get our independence. We did what Canadians do. (laughs) Sounds like I'm bashing other people. We did what Canadians Canadians do, and we politely went to our colonial uh, power and told them that we would like to be on our own and asked for their permission and guidance to do so. (laughs) 
probably apologizing <laughs> at the time. But in, but in seriousness, uh, so in 1867, the British North America Act was uh, passed in the UK legislature. Canada became its own independent nation, the Dominion of Canada. The uh, monarch who signed off on that legislation was, of course, Queen Victoria, who was well into her incredible tenure as our monarch. And, you know, we, we remain uh, a dominion, an independent dominion with great ties to Britain, of course. We continue to have a lieutenant governor in every province and a governor general at the national level who represent the queen and, and actually uh, call elections, uh, sign off on all of our legislation, although I don't know that they ever really decline it. Um, and, and certainly hand out all of our major national awards and things like that. So on uh, the third, no, on the fourth Monday in May every year, we celebrate Victoria Day. So this for us is a fabulous long weekend, and there will be lots of fireworks and barbecues and family reunions and people opening up their pools and all of those important things that Canadians love to do, lots of camping and cottage time. And we are just so thrilled uh, to finally be somewhat out of the pandemic and able to have proper gatherings again. So lots of people are hanging out for the first time this Victoria Day in a way they haven't the last couple of years. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Thank, you. Thank you so much for that explanation. 